Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv. Hello, everyone. This is See It to Be It, the Saturday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know about people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. Why? Because when people went to college, they didn't come back. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. But this show isn't about me. It's about our guests. Every Saturday, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Angelica Patlan, a strategic HR consultant. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, let's talk about the length of your resume. Have you ever been told that your resume has to be one page? I get so many questions during my consultations on how long a resume can be. I think getting your resume to one page is definitely a good goal, but I also understand it's not always possible. I definitely understand the logic behind a one-page resume, with the average job posting getting 200-plus applicants and recruiters scanning resumes for six seconds on average, getting to the point is definitely necessary. But I also think there's another factor we need to take into consideration, and that's relevancy. I always tell my clients that there are two things you want to consider before adding a second page. First, when it comes to things like older roles, awards, certifications, and more, Try to be honest with yourself. Are these things adding skills or experience that isn't already represented by more recent roles? Or are you holding on to it due to an emotional attachment? If it's adding value, then go ahead and keep it. But if you want it there because you think it brings you some sort of clout, I would reconsider keeping it on your resume because it may land you in the no pile. The second thing you should ask yourself is, can you fill an entire page with that relevant information? I'm by no means a one-page advocate, but I do believe that if you're going to use a second page, it needs to be filled with relevant content. If you have anything less than three-quarters of a page, I would suggest you try to figure out a way to condense it down. While I can definitely see the benefits of a second page, I don't recommend adding pages beyond that. Remember, this advice is for resumes. If you have a CV, that's a little bit of a different story. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by the group chat, 
a bi-weekly web show on the Living Corporate Network that tackles diversity, equity, and inclusion topics, your jobs, legal, and HR departments would never let fly. With topics like white supremacy at work, finding out that I'm a Karen, decolonizing DE&I, racial gaslighting at work, and imposter syndrome while black, you may be able to see why, but you may also be able to see why so many folks love it. Between our incredible host and our guests, which range from Fortune 500 executives to academics to activists to entrepreneurs, every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard is something special. So make sure you check out the group chat on livingcorporate.tv. As the proud daughter of a single mother and first-generation college graduate, Angelica has been making waves since day one by overcoming obstacles and breaking down barriers. So it's no surprise that she's making waves within the HR space to break down obstacles and barriers for others and make a better future for work and for HR. She has a BA in anthropology and a master's of science in human resource management. Angelica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so glad to have you. You know, I've had a number of DNI professionals on the show. I don't know um, if I've ever had anyone in HR that still worked in HR at a company. Um, mm-hmm. So I had an HR consultant at one point. And so I just want to, I really want to dig into this because there are a lot of things that people think they know about HR. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of myths and misconceptions. And I want to clear all of that up. Well, at least some of it today. But um, can you just start by telling us what drew you into this field? How did you get started in human resources? Sure. Yeah. So I started in human resources really out of a toxic workplace. I had joined an organization right out of college. I was super excited, you know, bright eyed, ready to to start an amazing career. And what I was met with was something that I had never experienced before, you know, walking on eggshells, questioning myself, wondering, is it me? Am I doing something wrong? And really feeling like there wasn't a lot of support to really talk through this situation. And I really wondered, is this all there is in life? Like, is this what work is supposed to be like? You know, like you said, I am the daughter of a single mom. And so my grandparents, my maternal grandparents also helped raise me. And their mentality was, you know, just put your head down, work hard, you know, keep doing hard work and, and you'll, you'll be okay. People will see your, your value and your achievements, but that doesn't always happen that way. And so I had to learn the hard way. And after that experience, I thought, what is going on? How can we fix this? And, and who is supposed to be fixing this? Because at the time I had no idea. And I thought to myself, what does HR actually do? Because like you said, there's a lot of myths and the HR that I knew was all about hiring, disciplining, and firing, and that's it. And so when I started to look into it more, I actually found strategic human resources. And I enrolled in a program with Southern New Hampshire University where we really went over and human resources that I don't think is in a lot of organizations, which is truly sad, but it's it inspired me to realize that human resources is, is way more than we think it is. And that's the path I decided to take. That's great. I want to dive into so many of the things that you said, but let's start with the term strategic human resources, mm-hmm. because that's a new phrase for a lot of people, I'm guessing. And can you kind of explain what you mean by that and, and what that work entails? 
Sure. So when we usually think about HR, it's usually transactional. Like, here's your paperwork. Thanks so much. Here you're hired and, and, and that kind of thing. But really strategic human resources should be a business partner, which means they understand what is going on in the business, the organizational goals, they understand the objectives of their stakeholders. So that's, you know, C-suite leadership, but also middle managers. And they are the strategic mastermind, basically, of how to get all of these resources to work together in a way that helps the organization meet its goal and do it in a way that keeps the humanity within the workplace and keeps people engaged. So can you give us some examples of how that works in real life? Like, what are some of the projects that you undertake or like some of the actual like work that you do day to day? Make this real for us. Yeah, so I recently began as, I'm I'm an HR consultant, but my official title is a human resource coordinator with Assemble Network or Assemble HR Consulting. And the whole mission is to bring people-focused leadership back to the workplace. So that means putting together programs, whether it's about DE&I or decision-making, feedback, so that people understand how to work together with their leaders, but there's also ones that are particular just to leadership because that allows people to, in those leadership positions to understand where there may be gaps in their skills and where there may be areas that they need to strengthen or improve on because at the end of the day, we're all just people interacting with each other. And if you know HR isn't there to kind of support that growth and that development, then that's when those separations and fractions can occur. So when you look at the work that you were doing prior, when you, you said like, does it really have to be this way? Mm -hmm. Right. Is this all there is? Uh, How might someone in your role have helped in that situation? Yeah, I think it's all about being intentional and aware And what I mean by that is, you know, you should have an intention with human resources with your people. So being intentional about your conversations, getting to know someone past just hello, how are you? Or, you know, here's your paperwork and benefits. Thanks so much. You know, here's an email to contact us. And it's also about being aware. So if there are certain situations that are coming up that are a pattern with certain people, then, you know, that could be a situation that you need to be aware of and be proactive with rather than reactive. And that would have helped in the situation that I was in because, you know, oftentimes it was very reactive. A situation would come up, oh, deal deal with that really fast and and then get it over with. Whereas if we would have just taken the first steps to really understand what is the dynamic in this particular department or what is the um, culture within this department and how is that affecting this situation? How is that kind of continuing a pattern? It would have been solved a lot easier and probably would have helped all of the employees within that department. Thank you for for kind of connecting those dots for us. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said that really struck me, I hear this so much uh, from people who are first-generation college students, first-generation professionals, um, whose parents were maybe working class or working poor uh, or, you know, lower middle class, right? Mm-hmm. This notion that you just work hard and people will notice and that will be enough. Mm-hmm. And those of us who who got that advice early on, sadly, wasted a lot of time in our careers fo- trying to follow it. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned since then and how that's sure. impacted your work? 
Oh, it's impacted my work a ton. I've had to realize that nobody is going to see the work that you do in, unless you advocate for yourself. I've really learned that it's important to be an advocate for yourself, to really sell yourself and almost market yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that, depending on your culture. So me being a Latina and, and the way that you were brought up, that can feel very uncomfortable to try to talk about yourself in a way that almost feels like you're being arrogant or, you know, boasting. But I think it's important to remember that it's not boasting, it's true. And we did all of these things. We, we're not lying. We have major accomplishments that often we don't celebrate. We don't acknowledge, we don't highlight for fear of being mis mistaken as arrogant or, or whatnot. But in reality, that's just us. We are pretty magnificent people and we do work hard. And so that helped me really understand, wow, I have the ability to speak up for myself and I need to do so if I really want to progress in my career. Absolutely. I love that. It's not boasting if it's true, right? It ain't bragging if it's true. That was something that for me was such a struggle because I just wanted to do a good job, mm -hmm. right? And one of my parents' favorite phrases when I was growing up is, and you could probably, you could probably finish this one for me, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Have you ever heard that oh, one? No, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> so in my Southern Indiana upbringing, that was, that was a favorite. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Meaning, you know, don't talk about how great you are, you know, just keep working, just keep going. And, you know, it occurs to me that those of us who grew up in those kinds of environments, right. That we were, you know, those heads down, like work hard, mm -hmm. you know, fruits of your labor kinds of environments, right. That is true. Like if you're too busy shooting the you're not going to get the work done. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, for the people that, that I knew growing up manufacturing and, you know, farming and those sorts of things, like you just, you know, the results were there. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody could see it because it piled up at the end of the day, but it doesn't work that way when you're sitting in a cubicle at an office. And, you know, Angelica, I'm wondering, you know, given the, the cultural background that you came from, you know, how much of that was also a struggle between, you know, wanting to kind of break out of, of the, the class culture and, and the, like the subculture that you grew up in, right. Mm -hmm. In terms of like, how do I apply who I am still be authentic to me in the workplace. But then there's also a balance there. I would imagine, especially for a young Latina woman about being in a white dominated male dominated workplace. And not wanting to, the word that I'm coming up with is not the right word, but, you know, not wanting to like get out of your place, right? You want to know your place when you're there because mm -hmm. there's also backlash against people who don't fit the mold, right? Don't fit the historical oh, yeah. mold mm -hmm. and then who try to break in. So it's like, you have to do a certain amount of speaking up for yourself, you know, to be seen as a professional. But then if you do too much of that as a young Latina, now you're painted into a different corner that you may not want to be. Can you talk a little bit about how you experienced that? Because I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, you know, funny enough, I was able to go to a predominantly white institution for college at Smith College in Massachusetts. And that was the experience that really opened my eyes to the need to balance, especially in, in situations where you are in a predominantly white setting. And there are certain nuances that, while not explicitly stated, 
are frowned upon and you can tell based on people's reactions. So going into the workplace, I had to really read my audience and understand, okay, is who is this person? What is important to them? It's almost like playing a game. You really need to understand who the, who the person is sitting across from you, what is important to them, you know, how can you help them with what's important to them, but then not lose yourself in that organization and, and trying to prove yourself that you are worthy or valuable. And so for me, I, I struggled with that early on in, in my first organization. I definitely lost my identity. I, I molded myself, conformed into what I thought people would want to see. But at the end of the day, the only person that was left really struggling and really lost was me. And after that experience, I realized, you know, you can change yourself for other people and try to make yourself into what you think they want. But at the end of the day, it's not really going to matter because you're not, you're not going to be able to keep that up for the long term. And if somebody doesn't like you for who you are, then that's not on you. That's on the other person. And sometimes we have to separate that. We have to, you know, understand that sometimes other people's responses to our authentic self is not our responsibility. If we know that we came from a place of wholeness, a place of honesty, a place of true authenticity, then that's what matters. And that's what I've had to lead with is I'm, I'm not going to be everything for everyone. And that's okay. I think that is so important for people to hear and for people to internalize early in their careers, mm -hmm. because oftentimes when we feel like a fish out of water, right, when we feel like we're the only, and we're just, you know, we have to succeed, right? Because it's not just us that's dependent on that, right? It's our families that, that put so much into us mm -hmm. um, to get us to that point, right? And so there's, there's a lot more pressure than just our own pressure. Yeah. Um, in those kinds of situations. And so we feel like, you know, we feel all of the burden, right, of, of those um, expectations, um, it can be easy to forget who we are and what we want. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing that. Is there like a defining moment for you where this kind of came to a head and you said, you know, this is it, this is the line in the sand, like I've got to do something different or was this a slow realization over time for you? I think it was a little bit of both for me. I had spent over three years in the job that I had when I came out of college and slowly but surely, I, I kept feeling that gnawing feeling that something was off, something was just not right. And at the end, I'll be honest, I, I pretty much sl like slipped into a depression. Like after that job, I felt like, who am I? What am I doing here? I have no clue. You know, this is not the life that I thought I was going to have. I think sometimes we're, especially as, you know, brown and black people, we are taught this narrative that if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll get to happiness and success. There's like almost this recipe that you have to follow. And so at the end, I, I was like, I, I did the recipe, you know, where's my, where's my dish? I, and it really kind of shook me. It really made me feel like, wow, like now what, how am I going to navigate this? And how am I going to figure out what I actually need to be doing? And so I would say it was slow in the beginning and then it hit me at the end. And it still was slow a little bit after that to realize I don't have to fit into somebody else's narrative to be valuable and worthy. And I just need to show up as myself. And that's what matters because I know that my work ethic will speak for itself. But if I'm not showing up as myself and being true to who I am, then I'm, I'm going to end up in the same situation I was in. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah.
I hope that our listeners are appreciating this and the vulnerability that you're sharing because I feel like I'm in therapy. Right? It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're speaking so many people's truth right now. So thank you for that. Let me shift back a little bit to your role at Assemble. You know, how can Assemble help leaders bridge that gap between, you know, wanting to build diverse teams, but then also meeting the needs of diverse teams? Because there's a, there's a difference there, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just bring people in and expect them to assimilate. You have to bring them in and make them feel welcome. How does your organization help with that? Yeah, so Assemble has DEI framework that they use. And really, you can't have people say they want diverse teams if they don't even understand the basic tenets of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, that's not everybody's upbringing, culture, socialization, narrative. So you really have to start with the basics and help them understand that having the faces is not enough. And that's what Assemble teaches is really having the basic knowledge, but then moving into the hard conversations, the ones that make you uncomfortable. And it also means bringing in the people that are affected the most. So I know that Assemble holds, um, you know, roundtables with organizations, with their employees to really understand how the employees are experiencing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then they also revert back to the leaders as well to say, hey, what is your idea of what's going on in this organization? And it really helps both sides come together and understand we may have a gap, we may have things that need to be built upon, or we may not even understand what exactly we're trying to do at all. And so I found that that's super important because, yeah, like you said, you can bring as many people as you want into your organization who are diverse, but if you don't have the structure and the basic knowledge to support those people, they are not going to stay. Absolutely. I was reading, I was scrolling through Twitter, a feed of like things you learn when you grow up poor. Um, Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up. I mean, we weren't destitute, but we didn't have a lot of money. And I certainly had friends who were on, you know, free lunches and that sort of thing. And, and it just occurs to me that one of the things that was in that thread was you never talk about what you dream about when you're, mm. when you're young and you're poor, because people are there to tell you like, you'll never get there. You can't have it. Right. Mm. And then those same kids grow up into adults who go into the workplace. And one of the first conversations their managers have with them is, so what are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your ambitions? And they can't, in, in those few moments, undo a lifetime of being conditioned out of those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's just, there's so much, I think, to unwrap when we get to all the different perspectives that people might have coming in, all the different ways that they were raised and, you know, different value systems that they bring. And then all of the expectations of people who have who've had a seat in these offices for a while who, you know, don't realize that that's even happening. So yeah, it's, there's just a lot, right? It's a lot of moving parts to get them all working together to get really high performing teams mm -hmm. and to make sure that your clients are succeeding, you know, for the long term with their talent, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it. I think sometimes we get focused on one aspect of diversity or we don't even focus on equity, but yet we want inclusion, but we, there, we have to be able to balance it and understand, like you said, it's more than just getting people into seats. It's understanding how you're going to support these people who come from diverse backgrounds, different upbringings and socialization, because as a leader, you should be wanting your team to grow and develop. And sometimes that is going to mean speaking with them and having a conversation and understanding those nuances of, wait, well, why didn't, you know, I'm asking you about your goals, but, you know, is that really your goal or is that what you want me to hear? 
or, you know, I had somebody once asked me like, where do you see yourself in five years? And that was a, a informational interview. And I said, well, you know, I, I think I'd like to be a director of HR. And the person looked at me and she said, why did you not say a CPO? And I kind of looked at her surprised and I was like, I didn't know that was possible. She's like, you need to dream big and, and put out there what you, what you want. And that taught me a lot. And she, this person was white and I was like, wow, they're right. Like, why didn't I say that? And I, I think we really do have to unlearn some of that humbleness that we were taught, like, oh, just be humble. And yeah, that's important, you know, have humility, but also have, you know, the confidence and the, the drive that, you know, is in there to say, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to achieve in X number of years. So it's occurred to me, Angelica, that, that your first book, assuming you haven't already written one, the title could be ambitious humility Yay. and you you could explore, you know, that dichotomy, right. Between the being humble, right. But the having ambition, because I think those are our two forces that are constantly at work within a lot of people in the workplace and, and getting the right balance of those two that feels natural, but also that gets them on the path that they want to be on um, mm-hmm. can be really valuable. So let me ask you um, before I just plan your whole life for you as <laughs> As you look at, you know, for a symbol, who are your target clients? Like who's the best client? What's the best client profile for your organization? Basically, our clients are people who want to learn and want to grow and want their business to have people-centered leadership Mm. and, and want to bring that either back into the workplace or just grow it within the workplace and continue to grow it. Our clients are companies that are usually just very, very, very fast. They, you know, as of the research that I've done, they are growing. Sometimes they have combined three different companies into one. And so you have to be able to move quickly to overcome that, but also do it in a way that is sustainable and keeps all the people from those three companies in the same place, working together cohesively. So Angelica, you know, where do you go for community as an HR professional? Because I think there's a lot of, let me give some background to the question. I think there's a lot of us versus them mm-hmm. in the HR space. You know, HR can be a very like isolating place to work. So where do you go for community? Yeah, so I'll answer this in two parts because it's interesting. HR can also be isolating within itself. So if we look at the data, people like me are not well represented in HR. HR, I think from what I last looked was 88% white. And so even the dynamics within the discipline can be isolating. So for me, I tend to just find other HR people who are diverse. You know, there's Clubhouse. A lot of people have been talking about that. And that has really allowed me to meet other HR professionals who I may not have met on LinkedIn or elsewhere and really just share our thoughts. And and it's a community that has helped me to grow my network in a diverse way and have an HR community that feels wholesome and true to who I am. Because it it is easy to get trapped in that homogenous thinking or to be, you know, within the same groups that you work with. So I think it's important to get out of that mindset and try to find other people within the discipline, especially if you find that you're the only or the few. And as far as just in general, 
I find community, whether it's on LinkedIn or on Clubhouse, I love to just talk with people. And I have found that sometimes community can happen in the most unexpected ways. And I have been able to find a community on Clubhouse called Professional Women of Color. It's a club. So if you are looking for one, that is one that I highly recommend. It brings together women or people who are non-binary into a discussion about the scary thing they did that week. And that was started by um, two women called Aniri and Lola. And it's been great. I've met people from marketing. I've met people from the startup life. And it's allowed me to feel supported, but also know that there's more to life than just HR and there's more to life than just work. I'm so glad you found community. And I know Clubhouse is... um you know, it's kind of an emerging uh, mm-hmm. platform. Uh, but I've, I've talked to so many people who have found really good spaces there. And so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that's working well for you. If somebody is new in the HR space, or if they're wanting to break into the HR space, because they want to help people, you know, in similar ways to the ways you help people, where can they start? Where can they learn more about this career path? Yeah, so I would recommend really starting within. And I know that sounds weird, but I you really have to understand why you want to go into HR. And you really need to understand like what your mission, vision, and your values are because we don't often talk about that as individuals. We know that companies have them, but we don't often have them as ourselves. And so I really recommend that people start within because it allows you to understand is HR actually what I want to do or is there another facet of HR and start there? But if they want to learn more about, you know, where to go from there, I would recommend looking into the different facets of HR. HR is basically an umbrella term for all kinds of different disciplines, whether it's recruiting, whether it's learning and development. So really start to research what it is that you're passionate about. Is it teaching people and helping build programs? Is it connecting with people to recruit them for a job? Is it looking at people's resumes to source them and and starting to build that jargon? Because that's super important when you're transitioning into HR is you need to know how to speak the language. And that's going to be important for you when you go into the workplace as well. As far as education, I, I think that's, you know, a personal decision. If you want to do a certification or you want to get a master's or a bachelor's, depending on where you are in your education, I think really taking the time to, to dissect that. And if you have a mentor or somebody within the HR space, you can talk to, to see if that's necessary, then I would go from there. Angelica Patlon, thank you so much for your time today, for your insights. I appreciate that you are out there, you know, knocking down the obstacles yeah. for those who come next and welcoming new people into this space. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first generation professionals. The other reality, most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter the Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point, airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv. 
Wasn't Angelica wonderful? What I loved about this interview was the way she talked so matter-of-factly about, you know, the the discrepancy between, um, you know, the values that that were instilled in her growing up and the values that were important in the workplace. And, you know, I think this is something that a lot of us who are first generation in professional jobs struggle with. Um, and I think it's especially a struggle for people who are um, black or brown in the workplace, because again, you know, there's this, um, certain amount of, of people expecting you to, to show up a certain way or to stay in your place in these white dominated, um, office spaces. And so I love what Angelica shared about just being authentic to yourself and, um, you know, figuring out that the people that are for you are for you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. You can also help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Now, maybe you're thinking, but there are only five stars. I can't leave six. Yes, you can. You give us all five of those first stars, but then you go to the next step and you leave a couple of sentences in your own words telling us what you liked about the show. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. This is Amy C. Wanninger signing off, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.